Whitelist.io. Welcome to Coast to Coast Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Creasy, and we're back here with episode 37. Today, shorter, relatively shorter, but fun episode. I was able to talk about the Wizards. This has been in the works for a while. Um, have have my guy Damo Nelson on. If you don't know who Damo is, Damo is big into Wizards podcasting. He also has grown a following on Twitter, just covering the Wizards. He's done it for years now, really good at what he does. I've liked his content for a long time, so we've been in touch. This has been in the works, and we're finally able to make it happen. You know, it's a it's an interesting point for the Wizards right now. You know, some would consider them in purgatory, and I think that that's fair. Uh, others would think that maybe they've got something going. I think that that's fair as well. And then others on the on the higher end of the spectrum on the other side would probably say, what is this team doing? And that's fair. Like that, like every point of view that you could probably have on this team is probably fair just because there's so many different ways you could talk about them. But we just kind of go into their season. We take a look back to the offseason. Um, we just kind of talk about the expectation going forward. We talk about what we've liked out of them this year, what's kind of been going wrong at times. Just a broad overview of the Wizards, and we really get into some stuff. Really fun conversation. Damo's a really cool guy, really laid back, also just really knows his stuff. So really fun, productive conversations, some laughs, uh, good info, good insight. Just a really good conversation that's worth the listen, man. It's about 35 minutes in total uh, from just mine his conversation. But before we get into that, as you know, every single week we have our stock risers and our stock followers. So let's do it. Stock risers, first one this week. They've been here before, the New York Knicks. They took a dip, you know, they'd seen some injuries, but they're back. They've won four in a row. They're now four games over 500. They're out of the plan currently sitting at six in the Eastern Conference. I think this is just a good basketball team. And will this team win a playoff series? I don't know. I don't know. Like, genuinely. Um, it obviously depends on a lot of different factors, but I don't think you can guarantee that they even went around. But they're a good team. And that you don't have to win around to playoff basketball to be considered a good team. And I, you know, with their aspirations right now, what they're going for, you'd obviously just rather them be out of the play in than be in the play in. So kudos to them to really succeeding. You know, some guys are back. Um, Brunson, he was out a few games after like not missing any games all season to start out. Um, Randall's back to doing his thing. Uh, pretty sure like RJ was out. I don't, I don't know if he played in their last game. I haven't exactly looked, but once he's back and going, you know, this is just a really good team with good players all around. So. This team's going to be fine, I think, long-term. I think that they're a what everybody thought they were before the season, a few games above 500, and I think they're you know they're capable of doing that. So kudos to the Knicks, man. It's awesome. So four games above 500, sitting at six in the East, definitely a stock riser after you know a lot of people thought they might be flattening out if they lost like five or six in a row. Uh, my second stock riser, really didn't think they'd be here all season, but here we are as Los Angeles Lakers. Um, they've also won four games in a row. And I think what could be dangerous about the Lakers – is that they're they're just hovering around, like they're right there. They're actually two games out from being top six in the Western Conference right now, which is kind of crazy to think about, but that's true. Um, LeBron is just exploding right now. Um, I'm not sure if you know the beginning of the season stuff was just some woes or just age, but now that he's in a midseason groove. Uh, throughout this win streak, he's actually averaging 35 and a half points, nine rebounds, almost eight assists, shooting 60% from the floor. Just some absurd stuff, man. Um, you know, they're still without Anthony Davis. Um, who knows whenever he might be back. But if they can just stay in the mix here, you know, some teams are having injuries, some teams are having some some fall off. If they can stay in the mix. Anthony Davis gets back. 
Thomas Bryant has been playing really well. Dennis Schroeder has been playing really well. Russell Westbrook off the bench has been a really big help. You know, if they could make one of the marginal trades, because I don't think a rush trade is coming at this point. I just don't. I don't think they're going to be trading both first or anything. But if they could make a marginal trade here with around the Patrick Beverly deal, the Kendrick Nunn deal, maybe some minimums, and whether it be multiple seconds or one of the first and some seconds, a marginal deal here could really change the outlook for this team season if they were to get healthy. And we'll see, because I can tell you one thing. Maybe the Lakers don't have a chance at winning long-term. Maybe they don't have even a puncher's chance to win four playoff series and win the finals. But they do have a chance to really scare somebody in the first or second round. And I don't think that's anything anyone wants to see with a healthy Lakers squad that's made a trade as well. This is kind of banking on a trade. I don't think as currently constructed that they can long-term make any noise. But – doing what they need to be doing right now, winning some basketball games, staying afloat, and putting themselves in a position to where if they can go on a little run here again, like they already have at one point in the season, to be able to maybe sneak into that top six. So to be where they're at right now, two games out of the top six, you know, half the season through, pretty promising considering Anthony Davis has been out as well. So we'll see. My last stock riser is going to be the Memphis Grizzlies. They've won five games in a row, and to keep this one short, the Grizzlies are just showing us what a lot of us knew already, and that's how serious of a threat this team is in the West and just as a whole to the entire NBA. Um, as it currently sits, they are second in point differential in, throughout the entire season. Um, I would, I know they have the best defense in the, uh, ever since Jaron came back, and when he's on the floor, it's like by far the best defense. Um, and I would say that they probably have the best point differential since Jaron has been back, since he entered the lineup again. Um, Jaron actually had his first 30-point game since like 2020 the other day against the Magic. So sorry, Magic fans, you know, you got a 30-bomb on you from a guy who hadn't dropped one since 2020. But I don't say that to say that. I say it to say maybe Jaron's like hitting another groove here offensively as well. So we'll see. All those guys over there in Memphis have been playing well. They're great. They're very well coached. Uh, they play hard. They win the possession game. You know, they, they attack the offensive glass. They create turnovers. They push it in transition. They capitalize off of it. They're a pretty good half-court team as well. Like, this is just a really good team. This was actually, you know, if you guys listen to the pod long-term, you guys know I picked the Grizzlies to come out of the West last year. Obviously, unfortunate circumstances. Steven Adams gets COVID to start the Warriors series. John Morant gets hurt in game three after exploding in the first three games. So, who knows? You know, I'm not saying that they would have won, but it was a dangerous team that I picked out West last year, and I didn't know how this season was going to go because of Jaron being out start the year you know, trading Melton and losing Kyle Anderson. And I know those guys weren't, you know, huge deals or anything, but they were depth that helped the Grizzlies. And I just didn't know how that would fare. Um, obviously looking uh, hindsight, you know, Bain getting hurt as well. And this team's still staying afloat. Even when Jaren, you know, it's just, it's just a testament to how good this team really is. Um, so they're my last stock riser. So now let's get into the stock fallers. My first stock faller, yes, I know they were a stock faller last week, but they're going to be again this week, and that's the Phoenix Suns. After their loss to the Miami Heat last night, this team sits at 20-20 and 20 at ninth in the Western Conference. Um, they are two and a half games away from being 13th. Thunder are 13th right now. The Thunder are trending in a good direction. Like I just said about the Lakers, they're trending in a good direction. you got the Timberwolves trending in a good direction after their bad you know, woes or whatever. Um and then you've got teams struggling just that are already in the top 10. It's, well, okay, I meant that for the other teams, but you've got teams in the top 10 that are kind of 
they're struggling, but they're not struggling to the point of the Suns. So they're kind of staying afloat. Listen, man, the Suns are two and nine now without Devin Booker in the 11 games that he's been sidelined this season. He's still probably going to be out for at minimum another like two and a half weeks, if not longer, because of what he's dealing with. Um, and here's an outlook on their next, I think it's like eight games. Let's see, one, two, three, four. Yeah, on their next eight games, this is just really dangerous territory for this team. They play the Cavs. They play at Golden State, at Denver, at Minnesota, at Memphis, Brooklyn, Indiana, Memphis. That's their next eight. This is very, very dangerous territory for this team because there's a very high likelihood that at best this team is looking at going two and six in this eight game stretch i'm just being brutally honest so we will see um there they've lost six or no they they've just been struggling man and you know i don't know what they're going to do chris paul's really struggled um deandre ayton has not had a jump really and i think he's been really frustrated with how he's used fair or unfair um, one could argue that with the efficiency, he needs more looks. The other could argue that he's just not aggressive enough in general, and that's why Monty doesn't go to him. Um, there's just real tension there, I think, still. Um, Cam Johnson obviously having his injury, and he's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason. There's a lot of uncertainty there. They've still they got it. They got to move Crowder and get some reinforcements. And I and there's probably not a lot of value there anymore. The time to trade Crowder would have been early in the season. Now you're looking at virtually getting nothing out of that because you're ultimately trading a guy who's on an expiring contract with 40 games left in the regular season that on most teams is probably not a starter. And Crowder's a good player, but when you're looking at teams who would be looking at trading for Crowder, it's teams that have already kind of fulfilled a starting role at that position. So what are they actually willing to trade asset-wise for a guy who's on an expiring contract for that you're going to get for 40 games? It's just not much. So – Really dangerous territory for them. We'll check back in in a week or two and see if they've kind of stayed afloat or if it gets even worse. Um, my second stock follower is going to be the Houston Rockets. Guys, I get it. They're bad. Everybody knew they were going to be bad, but this is really, really bad. They've lost six games in a row. They're one and nine in their last 10. And the point I want to really hit home here is that as it sits 39 games in, the Rockets have the worst record in the NBA. And you might sit there and think, well, they're not supposed to be very good. They're rebuilding. They've had the worst record in the NBA the past two seasons before this. And in case you haven't picked up yet, ever since they changed the lottery odds, having the worst record in the NBA doesn't necessarily get you the first pick. You have to build a real culture. You have to find pieces that are going to help. You have to implement things together. You have to, even if you're rebuilding, this isn't the way to do it. Having the worst record in the league three years in a row is not the way to do it. You don't succeed from a rebuild off that. And the one time we've maybe seen a team succeed in quotes, I know you guys can't see me as I do that, but succeed in quotes off that kind of rebuild is the 76ers. And how much of a real success has that actually been considering they've not even stepped foot in the Eastern Conference Finals? It's not how you do it. It's just not. So hopefully they're able to do – they were looking good for a few weeks, like showing some promise. But now it's just back to the regular old, this team is awful. They have nothing going for them. And when I say they have nothing going for them, I mean that. I mean, it's a real question. I'm not going to get into which way I believe on it. 
a real question is, does this team actually have a long-term building block that you truly believe in? Because let's go through it real quick. Kevin Porter Jr., they obviously don't believe in him. They gave him a deal that after this year is barely guaranteed. Jalen Green, has he been good? Sure, in spurts. Is it really on par with some of the other people in his class? No. I mean, just brutally honest, no. To this point, no. Is he still a good player? Yes. Does he have potential? Yes. But can you seriously look at that guy right now and go, that's a long-term player that I can see us having some winning success with? And I'm not even talking about a championship. I'm just talking about being in the playoffs one day, like winning a playoff series, consistently having 45-plus wins. I don't know. I don't know if he's that kind of guy. And then Jabari Smith Jr., I that's a rough topic of conversation because it's so early in his career. But also, there's not a lot outside of elite 3 and D potential that I've seen to this point. And maybe there's there's plenty of time for him to change that. So I'm not going to jump to a conclusion too early here. But it's just really concerning long-term for this team because, like I've mentioned before, after this year, they only have their pick top four protected next year. The Thunder have it if it's five through 30. And they're nowhere close to being a good team to guarantee that they're going to get that, that they're going to have, that, that 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 pick is given up at, like, number 16. There's very high likelihood that that pick could be given up at, like, five, six. And for a team that has no direction right now in terms of going upward, they would need a pick like that. So it's bad. It's bad in, in Houston. You know, the report about James Harden came out, and that almost just seems like a move to, like, try to get some wins. That way that pick isn't that good just because, I don't know, just because just so the Thunder don't get a good pick because they're probably not going to get it. I don't know. I don't – like, I would honestly argue that them getting Harden back is not even like the worst thing in the world because what are they actually even building right now? Just to just honestly, I don't know. I just, I'm not a big fan of what they're doing over there at this point. I had some optimism about them over the off season, kind of lost all interest in that to this point. Um, I really like Alperin Shingun, but when you have a coach who won't even let him play or won't even let him fill to his strengths, like man, Alperin Shingun is killing in ISOs. Alperin Shingun is great operating in the post and they barely let him do it. They'd rather sit there and watch the guards chuck up some shots without any flow or any momentum and not actually let a center with real potential on the offensive end be able to work and grow. So, you know, I don't want to critique Silas too much because he doesn't have a lot to work with. And he's also probably being told by the front office to do certain things. That's the way it goes. As a head coach, you don't make all the decisions. Even as a GM, you don't make all the decisions. You've got people over you that are telling you, in your ear what to do and these guys don't have all the freedom in the world some some franchises are different in the sense that they give people more people more power some aren't so i don't want to critique him too much because of he, what he might be being told to do and then going into my last stock faller um this team's a rough subject right now and it's the clippers a team with extremely high expectations truthfully a do or die season going into the season and half they are they are officially halfway through their regular season, and it's not looking too good. This team is one game above 500. They were looking great, looked like everything was flowing, and then they come out and lose five in a row. 
They got blasted on national television by the Denver Nuggets the other night. Just an embarrassing loss. The Nuggets have just owned this team since they came back against them from 3-1 in the bubble. I think, you know, credit to Zach Lowe, I think he said that that the Nuggets have won seven of their last eight since game five of the bubble against the Clippers. Just embarrassing. And, you know, it was a back-to-back, so the Clippers were playing Kawhi and Paul George in that game against the Nuggets, planning on not playing them the next night against the Timberwolves. Kawhi and Paul George didn't even play in the second half of the Nuggets game, and quite honestly, whatever you want to call what the Clippers did in the first half of the Nuggets game, that wasn't a whole lot of basketball. So, and then Kawhi and Paul George still sat the next night, last night. I'm recording this on Saturday early afternoon. The Clippers still sat Kawhi and Paul George in that Minnesota game even though they'd gotten blasted by Denver, hadn't really got a whole lot, and those two dudes sat in the second half. I understand Kawhi and Paul George don't have a ton of control over that, but to me, I still think that there could be a little bit of urgency there. In the sense, I'm, not, I'm not accusing these guys of not wanting to play. You guys know I'm actually a Clippers fan. I, I, don't, I don't care to say that on this podcast. But there has to be a little bit more urgency in that sense. And I get it. Maybe it ultimately was the med staff is end all be all. There's no there's no refuting it. But that wasn't a good look, especially for a team that's struggling. Um, like I said, they're one game above 500. If you kept close with the Clippers, then you know that last season they were two games above 500 to end the season, even with zero games from Kawhi and 31 games from Paul George. So this right here is unacceptable. And and some people might say, well, they've been hurt. Paul George has only missed like 10 games. I think he's played 30 or 31 of the 41. If it's not that, it's just under at like 29. Um, Kawhi has almost gotten up to 20 games at this point, or maybe he's at like 20. They've played enough games, and the two of them together have played 15 games together, and they've won nine of them. And, you know, let's look through those real quick. Um, The losses come to the Phoenix Suns in a game where they got their tails kicked at the beginning of the season. Kawhi was still coming off the bench is what it is. Lost the Orlando Magic. Um, they, they got a good win over Boston. They lost to Philadelphia in a game where they were up like 25 points. They lost to Boston. They lost to Indiana. And they got their brains beat in by Denver. This team, they're not playing to what we're used to seeing with Kawhi and Paul George in Los Angeles. They're only – they're 9-6 and six right now through 15 games together this season – and that's right at a 49-50 win pace, which is good. But it's nothing crazy that we're used to with these two on the floor together. And I think that there's a lot of problems. It's not Kawhi and Paul George. Paul George had a really, really underrated, underrated season. Uh, if you saw my tweet the other day, you know, it kind of highlighted that. Kawhi has really shown flashes and looks like he's getting back and getting back to a great player. Um, but with no backup big, nobody to make offense easier. You know, all of the offense to be successful, that's why it's been so ugly all season is all of it to be successful takes a lot of making Kawhi and Paul George have to work more than they probably should, and that's because of a lack of a real point guard. Um, and I just think it's worth looking at, you know, this offseason. I don't think this team's going to blow it up, nor do I think they should, because no matter what kind of trade you make, you may never get a player like Kawhi or Paul George again. You also may never have two players of this caliber on the Los Angeles Clippers ever again at the same time. So you don't blow it up, but I think it's just worth looking at, does this team look to improve this year at the trade deadline? Do they look to do something at this deadline? Or like 
like my guy that I follow on Twitter and we talk sometimes, Unbiased NBA, shout out to him, another fellow Clipper fan. He kind of mentioned how there's assets that the Clippers are going to have available this offseason to make a three or four first round pick trade. And are they looking at that long term to try to kind of say, hey, we have depth, but we still have holes. And so is it worth just kind of sacrificing some depth to really go all in and try to have like a three star team? We'll see. A lot of questions for this team long term. It's a big upcoming few weeks for them. Big upcoming few weeks. But yeah, those are the stock risers and stock fallers. This is a really fun episode. I'm ready to get straight into the conversation with Domino Nelson. So sit back, enjoy it, and here we go. And now I'm very excited to bring on Wizards podcaster, a guy I've been talking to for a while, covers the Wizards a lot. You can find him on uh, on Twitter. I'll, I'll shout out his handle at the end of the pod. But Damo Nelson. Damo, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, um, been really excited to do this one. Damo puts out great stuff. He's talking about the Wizards regularly, both on his Twitter and stuff he puts out on the pod. Um, the Wizards have had a interesting season to this point. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Definitely interesting. It's been somewhat <laughs> of a roller coaster. <laughs> no kidding. So... <laughs> Just very, you know, briefly before we get into it, you know, this team as it currently stands is 17 and 22, sitting at 11th in the Eastern Conference, half a game behind the play-in race. Just what's your thoughts right now on the team? Just very briefly. Um, They're kind of stuck in kind of, I don't want to say no man's land, but they're kind of just, they're kind of stuck. Like they, you know, they've dealt with some injuries. Um. You know, namely to Beal, DeLon Wright been out, uh, Rui was out. So, you know, it's hard to really gauge them. But I, I think they're a solid team. Like, I think they're a playoff team if everybody is healthy and right. Um, but if they're going to have guys in and out of the lineup, namely their best guy, I think they're going to be out of the play-in, out of the, the whole playoff picture in, in its entirety. So, Yeah, it's – it's really been interesting. And, you know, oftentimes when you hear somebody say, oh, this team's dealt with the injury bug and the, the common response is, well, all teams are dealing with injury bug. You know, this team has probably had it a little heavier than most than the average team this season so far. Um, and and just announced yesterday, Bradley Beal has, I believe, a grade two hamstring strain, a ham, hamstring strain. Um, I believe that's what it was. And so I guess he gets reevaluated here soon. We'll see how that is. Um, but I mean, here recently, they've been playing some pretty good basketball, you know, obviously to start the season, uh, this team came out, they were 10 and seven in their first 17 games looking solid. And then they ended up losing. It was 10 in a row. They lost 13 out of 14 and it was just looking bad at that point, but now they've bounced out and, and, you know, they've got six wins in their last eight games. Uh, What do you think may have been going on during the stretch where they were just losing a lot? Yeah, that, that one in 13 stretch was so rough. Um, I, I think it was a, a a multitude of things, but I, I would say the biggest issue was uh the lack of bench production. Oh, yeah. Um, because you had you had to me their you know, I would say arguably their fourth best player between Delon Wright and Rui, they were both out. And so Delon Wright, I mean, his defensive impact is just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like Marcus Smart type level defense, 
for a team that that doesn't have a lot of point of attack perimeter defenders uh, at guard. So when he's gone, there's no one to kind of just step right in and replace that skill set or even kind of be at an average level there as a perimeter defender. And then Rui Hachimura, who I think has found an ideal role yes. uh, on this team now that's being that six-man score. They just run the offense through him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and with him not there, your, your, your bench was just – it was Will Barton and a bunch of guys just, just standing around looking and, and watching. And Will Barton is having probably the worst season of his career. So it were, there were nights where, you know, the quote-unquote big three would, would produce or if Bill was out, KP and Kuzma, they would produce. They were giving you 60, 70, 80-point efforts, but you would get your, – your bench is getting outscored by 20 or 30. You're just not going to win like that unless you're holding teams to under 100 points. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just hard to do that in today's NBA now. So I think now with with DeLon and Rui back, I think they're a more, more balanced team where you don't have to rely on your top guys to combine for 90 points just to just to barely win or even possibly lose. So um, but, yeah, that to me was the biggest issue with them, you know, that that one and 13 run. Yeah, for sure. And so I just I want to talk about this stretch that they've had here recently. First off, I'm glad you brought up Rui Hachimura. I do 100% agree that he's found a really comfortable role being like a go-to guy off the bench. You know, I think oftentimes in the past, because I was kind of, we did some stuff talking about like restricted free agents on the pod um, before the season started. And I just I didn't know what to think about Rui in terms of, you know, What's a realistic number if there were to be one? What's the Wizards' concern with actually making sure they bring him back? Like, And I think that was in part due to him being in a starting role, being around other guys. And maybe that's just not what he's most comfortable doing, being around those other good scorers. I mean, if you take a look at this last eight games, he's averaging a little bit over 17 points and about five rebounds. And he's shooting 58% from the field and 43% on three and a half attempts from three a game like it's just awesome stuff and I mean I I obviously don't watch every Wizards game but I mean I'm watching as much as I can for every team and I actually do like an offensive breakdown every day if you guys don't keep up with the Twitter all the time and whenever I did mine on the Wizards you know I I started to notice like hey Rui's getting better like one-on-one looks against like bench guys and he's really taking advantage of those and the Wizards are doing a good job of like putting him in good spots and he, he's just been really good throughout this stretch. And, you know, I heard somebody, or not just somebody, just like multiple people kind of talking about their stretch. Oh, they haven't really played anybody. Well, I mean, let's just take a look at it. In the last eight games, okay, they played Phoenix, no Booker, cool. They played Utah, loss, fine. Utah's been solid. Very good win over the Kings. Very good win over the 76ers. And then you had three straight against Phoenix, Orlando, and Milwaukee without their three guys where, yes, those teams are not that good, especially Milwaukee without their guys and Phoenix without Booker and Orlando just being Orlando. But they handle business. I mean, they're just killing these teams in, the, in those three games. And then they lose in a game where, I mean, they weren't just totally out of it in one of Giannis's best performances of his career. Like, this team is playing right. good basketball right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I would totally agree. And and actually on that, you know, on that note about, you know, as far as who they've played, they've had the third hardest schedule in the league up to this point. So, it's you know, it's not like they've played, you know, the Orlando Magic, 
six times. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're playing teams. And, and some of the teams, you know, have been without their guys, but the Wizards have been without their guys. Yeah. You know, Bill, Bill has missed a third of the season already. Um, and, and I've already touched on, you know, the bench guys being out. So to me, it all it all balances out. At the end of the day, your record is your record. You are what you are. So um, I, I still think that, you know, I think they're a top eight. Like if I was just going to do a polling on like talent, I think they're a top eight talented team in the East. Um, the way KP is played, if you're you're getting a healthy Bill Kuzma, um, and then if Rui and Delon are carrying that bench, I like them as a playoff team. But you know they got to be healthy. If they're not going to be healthy, then you know you really don't have a shot at anything. Yeah, and I mean like like you said, like it's a good team. Like you start going up and down the roster. Like obviously Bradley Beal, good player. Ho- hope he's okay from the injury stuff. Chris Asporzingis gets hate at times. He's been pretty good this year. Um, Hachimura, been good off the bench. Kyle Kuzma, been pretty good this year. Monty Morris, been a, been a solid point guard for them via trade over the offseason. DeLon Wright, giving them great defensive impact. Corey Kispert, been a solid player this year. Daniel Gafford, when he's played with Porzingis, which I want to touch on in a minute, been pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, Denny Avdia, obviously some people would wish he would do some other things, but he's still a solid big forward. Like, this team has guys. Like, they've got guys. Like, I remember before the season, and I wasn't, like, super high on the Wizards. Like, I had them, I think, right outside of the playing race at, like, 11th, even though, like, I thought it was, like, a solid team. Like, I remember, like, having an inner debate and to debate with some friends. Like, obviously, I'm not saying this is the best roster, but are they one of the deepest rosters, just in the sense of they have a bunch of good NBA players. Like, and yeah, it, yeah like, it, it's just worth noting. Like, they're not a bad team at all. They're not a bad team. Yeah, this, this isn't like the Charlotte Hornets or or the you know uh, the, the 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 Rockets or the, the Magic, where you know you got guys that are probably should be in the G League that are getting significant <laughs> minutes. Um, these are guys that that could place play roles on playoff teams. Yes, um, but I think the issue comes when you guys get hurt, and then you got to elevate a guy who's probably an eighth or ninth man. Now he's got to be a starter. Mm-hmm. Right. That's where that's where the issue comes, you know, comes into play. Or even a Cal Kuzma, who I think is a really nice third option. Right. But then when he's got to be your best scorer on a nightly basis or he's got to create everything on a nightly basis because Beal is out or Rui is out from the bench scoring perspective. And now Kuzma's got to go drop 30. Well, now you kind of stretching guys a little beyond their means. And I think when everything is in place and they're healthy, Guys fit in those roles, I think, really well. And they could be a very competitive team. Like, uh, you know, KP is playing at an all-star level, in my opinion. He has been since he's been here, um, going back to last year. Um, If they could just get – if they can get healthy, I think they could be a tough out in the playoffs. Yeah, and I'm I'm also glad that you brought up the point about, you know, Kuzma being like a great third option opposed to just, hey, throw him out there and let him go try to do everything. Because when you watch this team – Kyle Kuzma is very, very successful when he's coming off pin downs, coming off double staggers, mm-hmm. you know, going through and trying to find – like whenever he's found on the backside, whenever they've got like a pin, like an empty side pick and roll on one side. Like that's where Kuzma's best. Kuzma's a great cutter, like whenever he's involved. Like that's where Kuzma fits. Kuzma's not a – he can do it occasionally, but it, this is not a hand the ball to him empty side and he's going to score 25. This is a guy who's no. really good – at coming off screens and making cuts and being able to occasionally take advantage of things. 
that's where he thrives. And that's where he's been really good for them this year. And so, yes, that's a perfect point. Like they need him to be like that third guy opposed to just throwing him out there and being like, Hey, Coos, we need 30 tonight. You know? <laughs> yeah. We need, we need a triple double. Like, yeah. it's just not, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. Go ahead, man. No, I, I was just going to say, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of, a point I've been kind of ringing with this team for a while. I mean, ever since they kind of moved on from wall and we had the Russ deal for a year, like they're really missing kind of that floor general that can kind of get guys their, their looks in their spots. Cause like you say, Kuzma is a guy you kind of want him on the move, catching it mm-hmm. and already in a position to try to attack a defense yes. versus him with five guys in front of him and trying to do too much with the ball. And I think a point guard would kind of settle, settle a lot of that where Kuzma can come off that pin down or he can come off, you know, uh, uh, that that cut. And when he's catching the ball, he's already looking at a, a, a defense that's in flux. And then he could be 6'10 and hit you with that spin move in the lane or that, that step back or the jab step, you know, get in the lane and get fouled. It's just easier basketball. But, you know, when you're going to ask him to, hey, top of the key, all right, Kuz, go make something happen. That's when the efficiency drops. That's when, you know, stuff gets a little tight and it, it doesn't look as clean. So, you know, I think that's one issue as far as their roster as a whole that maybe they, they definitely need to address, in my opinion, as far as the point guard spot. Because I like Monte, but I don't think he's dynamic enough to really, like, shift the defense um, and make guys move to create easier looks for other guys. I agree. And I, you know, I, it's not that I didn't understand, like I understood the trade when it happened over the summer, but I think it was a small overreaction of like, oh, look what Monty did with Denver this year, like because Jamal Murray was out. And although Monty was good in that spot for them all year long, like you kind of also have to take into account playing off of Jokic and Mm -hmm. some of those things. And it's like, Monty's not bad. Like I'm not trying to hate on Monty right now. It's just stuff like that because I don't like maybe Brogdon was there and I want to discuss that later, but like just other options and they ended up trading who's been one of the more prolific three and D players in the league right now in KCP. And, you know, I understand he wasn't as good as he had been in the past, like with Washington or whatever, but sometimes that's just, like you said, absence of a point guard is what it is, but it's like, I do think the trade for Monty was a bit of an overreaction from the season with Denver last year. But one thing I want to touch on, um, you know, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know, whenever I talk about teams, I like to dive into the advanced analytics and stuff. I'm really not going to go into a ton of that with Washington for the most part, because in most categories, they're league average. Like there's just not, there's not a lot of discrepancy there. Like there's a league average team in so many different things. Uh, Things to highlight. The one thing to highlight in my opinion, that's very noteworthy is they don't get a lot of threes up, and that is what it is. But, you know, they shoot right around league average, around three. They do give up a lot of threes, but in a good sense, they're smart about who they're giving up threes to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like they're just having – they don't just have a packed-in paint defense and just giving up, giving up a bunch of threes, trying to protect the paint, you know, all that kind of thing. They're smart about shading over with guys on dudes who shoot 28% from three, 31% from three. And they're giving those guys those looks. And so that's been pretty – that's been a successful component for them defensively. Um, but but one thing I want to touch on, man, they went to the Porzingis and Gafford 4-5 lineup 
I guess what well, what is maybe they really they really decided to do it. I guess like a few weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, it was probably I would say about five six games ago. Yeah. Okay, um, and and it's really worked, like really worked. They've played two hundred and seventy two possessions together as four or five combo, and they have a plus twenty four point six net rating. Awesome, absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, he's out whenever those two are on the floor together. 126.5 offensive rating. Obviously, it's a relatively small sample size, but that's better than any offense in NBA history. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, they don't turn the ball over. They're grabbing offensive rebounds at a crazy rate, which makes sense. Gafford, athletic, active on the glass, always has been, you know, a footer, like really good at what he does. Um, and then Porzingis, 7-3, like, you know, kind of ex- – kind of explainable whenever he's around the rim. And then the defense has been awesome too, 101.8 uh, defensive rating. I think that's just kind of the length of some of these lineups. Like a lot of times whenever these guys are playing four and five, you know, you got Kuzma at the three, which instead of pushing him at the four, that, you know, that's a big wing playing the three. They experimented a little bit with like Beal at point guard with some of these things. Uh, Jordan Goodwin, Kispert's in a lot of these lineups. Like there's a lot of size whenever you're talking about like running those lineups too. And so that makes it hard. Whenever this team has been solid defensively overall, they're not giving up boards. Um, they're, the only thing they're really not doing in this lineup is forcing turnovers. But if you're doing all these other things at a high clip and they continue to do it, they'll be successful. So I'm really intrigued on continuing to watch that 4-5 combo going forward. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it, it's funny because I, I I talked about that back in July before the year started about trying that because I felt like that was a lineup that could force teams to adjust to us instead of us trying to adjust to them and yeah throughout sure. the year you you would see the wizards lose games because they couldn't get that defensive rebound they needed and and it's like you know i've been a, i've been a critic of of denny's progression you know in his third year but i felt like you know when teams started guarding him with their center i'm like okay that's an issue because mm-hmm. now if, if I can guard a guy that I'm not worried about at all with my big and just let my big kind of play free safety, well, that makes it hard for the other four guys. Now you're playing four and five and you got a guy, you know, a, a shot blocker now hedging at your best players every time you come down the floor. Like you just can't have that. So yeah. when he made the move and put uh, Gafford there, I was like, okay, now you you want to put, you got to put a real five on Gafford and you got to worry about him on the glass. Yeah. That's offense that you didn't have before um, in that dunker spot. Now KP can kind of float, shoot the jumper. He can float out to the three-point line. He can shoot from the high post elbow. Um, he can attack smaller guys even more. Um, and you get a rebound height advantage. You cruise, you're bigger. So you're just a bigger lineup now behind a small backcourt in a Beal and Monte, similar to what the Cavs are doing up there with Mobley and, and Allen. Yeah. Um, but I would say it's probably more skilled because I think KP is just one of the most skilled bigs in the league. So mm-hmm. it's definitely been working. It's been one of the best, you know, front courts in the league, you know, based on the minutes played. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. From a net rating standpoint. So I think they should keep at it. Uh, keep at it. Because when you get – if you get by the guards, it's hard to score through a Gafford and a KP at the rim. Like, it's just tough. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I've always had – or not like always, but for the past few years had a bit of a soft spot for Gafford and like really liked whenever he's in. And I think it's just because 
I paid a little bit more attention to that team than usual when it was like Russ and Beal, just to kind of see what was going on, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. – I was really intrigued by Gafford minutes, and especially in the playoffs, like against Embiid. And, like, I don't know. I just liked what I saw. Like, there's, there's no other explanation, really. I just – I he's just really active. If you watch Gafford, he's extremely active on the glass. He's a pretty freaking good shot blocker. And, like, he's just always going to play hard for you. And so, like, that's hard to not get behind. For sure. And and it's so crazy because he was so bad, like, the first 10 to 12 games. He was so bad. Like, people were, I was people raised were tweeting. People were, <laughs> people were critiquing the extension already. And it's like, I get it. I totally get it. But it's like, it's crazy how much of a 180 we've made already. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he, he was so bad. Like, he was so bad the first 10 or, <laughs> 10 or to a dozen games. And then it just it just worked for him. I think a lot of that was Jordan Goodwin kind of emerging, because mm-hmm. um, I think Gafford needs some of those, uh, like John Wall would say, spoon fed buckets mm-hmm. where he gets in the lane and he can throw it up. He get a couple of dunks. Like I, I feel like when Gafford dunks the ball, he get like his his sliders go up. <laughs> so, but if you're just gonna if you're gonna have Gafford like early in the year, they had him kind of like. Like they were kind of using him as a passer. He was screening. He was running DHOs. I'm like, he's not that guy. Like I, I, I get why you want to try to do that with your big, um, but he's not that dude. Man, had that dude come up there and screen somebody and roll his ass to the rim, yeah, and try to dunk everything. That's it. Don't have him try to do nothing else. Um, <laughs> and since then, it's been working. So uh, that's why I say kind of back to the to the point guard point. I feel like you're gonna see another level with him. Once he gets that point guard, because I think Russ kind of elevated him, um, I do, I being do. able to run and transition and get in the lane, throw it up for lobs, that that ignites Gafford. So if we could get that element back, I think you'll see even another level for him. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, obviously we talked a lot about, you know, the season as it is right now. I want to take a trip just back to like the offseason real quick. And we've already kind of covered like. DeLon Wright, obviously he's been awesome. Like, great pickup, great defensively. Team's yeah. better with him on the floor. Team Like, team's winning more games whenever he plays. Um, we talked about the Monty Morris trade a little bit. Like, we don't really need to go into that. I feel like it's kind of self-explanatory. Been solid. You know, interesting to look back at a little bit, though. The two things that I were, that I really want to get into are – and you, you tell me which one you want to talk about first. Bradley Beal or keeping the 10th pick? Ooh, the tenth pick. That's <laughs> one I struggle with. <laughs> so let's let's get straight into it. So it's very well known that over the offseason, Wizards wanted a point guard. Well, they got a point guard. And so people kept wondering, you know, are they gonna use the 10th pick? Because come 10th pick, is there really a guy that they're gonna draft that's actually gonna play on this team? Because like we've talked about, there's a lot of good players on this team. <laughs> So mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to draft a guy essentially closer to the mid-first round that you're going to expect to just come in and get minutes on a team with really nine or ten good NBA players when they're fully healthy. Mm-hmm. So they take Johnny Davis. Um, initial thoughts as soon as they made the draft pick. Uh, I didn't like it. I just didn't like Johnny Davis. wasn't a fan all. either. wasn't a fan either. Not a fan. <laughs> While while you you talk a little bit about just that whole scenario, I'm going to actually go find it. I I covered the first round that happened. I want to go find my tweet about that selection. Yeah. So, yeah. And and not to, not to to kill Johnny Davis too much, but, you know, coming out of college, he was, 
pretty much used as a wing. He played more minutes at small forward than any other spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was kind of like a classic high usage, you know, low efficiency player, but he just, he was a dog, right? Like he was clutch. He got after it defensively. Um, and he just made timely buckets from that mid range area. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't like him as far as his ability to create space to get by guys. And I'm like, uh, if you're struggling to do that in the Big Ten, it's not going to get easier in the NBA. <laughs> um, and then when I saw his measurables, you know, he looks, you know, I've been to a few business practices and I've seen him up close. He just looks like a, I feel like if he walked past you, you know, in, in Walmart or something, you wouldn't know he was in the NBA. <laughs> um, so he just, you know, average kind of athlete. So I'm like, um, he's going to need some time. Like he's going to have to change his game because there isn't, there isn't an NBA team that's just going to give him the ball top of the key, let him have a 30% usage rate, be oh, bad at shooting threes, and get most of his points off of mid-range jump shots. Like, he's going to have to change his whole game, and then you couple in the fact that he's an average athlete. So, you know, it's not like he's coming in with a 40-inch vertical and a 7-foot wingspan. So it's going to be tough for him. And so far, that's, <laughs> that's what it's been. So to your point with the, the 10th pick, I was of the mind of, you know, take Jalen Williams because from the skill set standpoint, that it was all there. Perfectly it was, the way that dude's played so far. It was all there. I mean, he had to me, he really had no weaknesses except for like defense. Yeah. But he had the physical tools that and I that's say, gonna come along. Yeah, I could say, okay, well, he's not an elite defender now, but he has the physical tools when he learns the game, he can be better on that end. But offensively, to me, he had no weakness. Um, so you know, they didn't go that direction. I didn't like the idea of moving that 10th pick for a Malcolm Brogdon because of the age, the injury concerns. Fair. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like if you were dead set on taking Johnny Davis, you probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I you, totally agree. <laughs> you know, you just paid Bill 250 and then you go and draft another two guard. Like, I, I it just didn't make sense to me. So, like, I wish, you know, I know I know they wanted Dyson Daniels. Um, oh, I didn't know that. That's point guard. Point. Yeah, that, that's who they were. They were – that's who they wanted. He was taking but the it, pick. Was he taking the pick before? He went eighth two picks to before. New Orleans. Yeah, two, yeah two picks before. He went eighth to New Orleans, um, which makes sense because they – Tommy talked all offseason about getting a – you know, the, obviously they needed a point guard, mm-hmm. and they needed a point guard that can play defense. So you're looking at a Dyson Daniels, 6'8", with kind of like a Lonzo Ball type skill set, can can defend his ass off, and you know he you know got size, can pass. The only question you had was the jump shot. Mm-hmm. Um, seamless fit. He can play the one, two, or three. Uh, but they just, I, I, if that was your guy, my point thought was just trade up and go get him. But yeah. they didn't do that. They stayed put and they took Johnny, who you know. He is what he is, but he's going. He's going to need some time. He's going to need yeah. some time. And I don't uh, want to like hate. Just sit here and hate him. This isn't really like a Johnny Davis slander point. This is just like this is more critical of like Wizards front office. Like you probably should have known better. Like Johnny Davis is a rookie, and when you're a rookie who who is like your your strength and your skill set is like scoring, especially like a three level scorer. A lot of times that's going to take time if you're really going to pan out, and yeah. So this is not just Johnny Davis slander. We're not trying to kill Johnny Davis here. Yeah, um, sure. Now, I do think it's interesting because that you brought up the Brogdon thing. Um, 
I don't know if you've listened to Woj's pod that Brogdon was on before the season came out, but mm. Brogdon thought that he was going to be a wizard. Yeah, he thought it was a done deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just made sense. Like, it was – he's he's from Virginia. Uh, you know, he played college ball at Virginia. It just – you know, we needed a point guard. There was an opportunity, obviously, to start here, and we had the number 10 pick. And and so it just it just made sense. Yeah. But just for me, from a principal standpoint, I just don't like the idea of trading top 10 picks for, you know, guys coming off injury that are 30 plus. Like, I just don't like the idea of doing that. I get it. And so my my tweet here that I had of Johnny Davis on draft night was 10th pick Johnny Davis to Washington. This one's confusing. Davis was an elite cut, was an elite scorer in college for sure. But where does he fit if Beal is still there? Obviously, the contract hadn't been signed yet for agencies after the draft. Um, maybe they anticipate him gone. I don't know. If Beal is there to stay, this is not the outcome the Wizards needed tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, it just didn't. So the, the timeline of it just is so weird because it was like you draft Johnny Davis, then you and you you draft Johnny Davis knowing you were trying to keep Bradley Beal. Mm-hmm. So they they had to believe that these guys could play together. And it's funny, I was just looking at it the other day, Waj's tweet when he when he showed the selection or, or he announced the selection, they said he says Wizards, Washington Wizards get their point guard, Johnny Davis. And I'm like, point guard? Uh, who <laughs> he's not a point guard. He's he's as much a point guard as you know uh, <laughs> Daniel Gafford is. Like yeah. I, like, he is not a point guard. Like um, so when they when he when I saw that I'm like okay well maybe and then Tommy gave his post draft interviews and he's talking you know yeah he could play some one he could play some two and then you know I'm like okay so they really think he can play point guard even though he <laughs> did not do that at Wisconsin. Um, and, and so then he gets, I, I hear Johnny, he gets on a radio spot and, uh, they ask him about playing point guard. And he was like, uh, yeah, that's not really what I do, but you know, <laughs> I'm willing to do whatever the coaches you know, ask me to do and grow my game. And I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me, man. Like, like this is just, I, maybe they see something that <laughs> I'm not seeing, we're not seeing. Maybe they got some, I don't know, they got a crystal ball of development that they're going to get him to a point guard level, but I don't see it. Like, he wasn't a point guard in high school. He definitely wasn't a point guard at Wisconsin. So to make that transition to probably the most difficult spot in the NBA, good luck. Good luck. Yeah. I just... <laughs> and, then, and then right after you do that draft and you give Bill 250, then they were trying to trade for Donovan Mitchell, who's also a two. So I'm just like, what? At least, be, at least that one would have been like, like yeah, even, oh yeah. even if it doesn't sound great, at least that one like justifies just the talent, you know? Yeah, I, I, he's so good that you just like get the good player on your team. Yeah, but it's yeah. like, okay, you gave a, a two guard 250, then you draft a two guard. Then you go try to trade for another two guard. It's just like, what are we doing? <laughs> what and are I, we doing? I don't mean this in a bad way. I think like Darius Garland is awesome. I'm not comparing him to anybody here. But and I understand that the Cavs have a great defensive front court, but like if the Mitchell Garland backcourt can work really well, even though Garland is more of a playmaker, like I think it's okay to think that a Mitchell Beal backcourt could have worked. <laughs> like Oh, it would have been just yeah. I mean, it's just so dynamic. Yeah. Putting pressure on you at the rim that 
you just wouldn't have. It, it's just too hard to stop. <laughs> just it would have been too hard to stop. But it just I'm just like from from as a GM, like just Tommy's head. Like I'm just like the the Johnny Davis pick just didn't. I'm just like, where does he fit? Like if you if you if you try to you just signed Beal and then you're trying to go and get a Donovan Mitchell, where does Johnny Davis fit in there? <laughs> You know, I just don't, I just don't get it. But you know, in, here we are. So, in case you haven't been able to tell yet, listeners, uh, the tenth pick is still a very sensitive thing for Wizards fans, as it should be. <laughs> as it should be. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. Now we we will we will get off that topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> let let's go to Bradley Beal, man. Obviously, they signed the ginormo huge contract, mm-hmm. no trade clause. How'd you feel about it whenever it was signed? Well, at that point, you had to do it. Uh, yes, yes. I did not like. I did not like the no trade clause. That was the one thing I wasn't a huge fan of. Um, but then I kind of like talked myself out of it because it's like, okay, well, in this player empowerment era now, doesn't every elite player have a no trade clause at this point? Like they're all dictating the list of teams they want to go to, and the GMs try to maintain relationships because if you do one player wrong. Oh, then yeah. other players are looking like, oh, that's how you did him. That's probably how you're gonna do me. So I don't want to play for him. Yeah. Um, so it's this, it's a relationship business. So I, you know, I I don't like it, and I feel like they didn't have to do it, but you know, they did it, and you know, wherever he if if it doesn't work out, they're probably gonna have they're gonna trade him to somewhere where he wants to go, which I think would have happened anyway. So you know, it is what it is. But I didn't like I didn't like the the no trade clause. Um, you know, if you weren't going to trade him after you traded Wall and after you traded Russ, then you had to resign him. You can't just lose yeah. him for nothing. Yeah, and I also think, like, that's one of those things where that contract looks ginormous right now, and it is right now, but there's going to be a new, like, a new salary, new salary oh, yeah. and, and new TV deal. And once all that really kicks in, that deal is going to look pretty normal. Like, I, I don't think that that deal, when all of that comes into effect in the next, I don't know, year, two years, even three years, that deal's not bad. Like, and so. Yeah, I, I, I don't see it as like a, uh, I mean, John Wall, he tore his Achilles. So it's like, if you get hurt, then it's, every deal is going to be bad. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. And for 20 million, if you can't play, you're not worth anything. But, mm-hmm. um. I think if Beal is available, and that, that's the that's the key point because he's been you no know, this hamstring is an issue, but if he's going to be available and he's going to give you twenty five five and five, an efficient twenty five five and five like he's done this year, that that contract is fine. Like yeah. it's going to be movable. Teams are going to value it uh, because those players are just hard to find, man. Like you know, perfect, we always perfect point because people can sit there and say all they want. You need to trade and rebuild. You need to trade and rebuild. What are the odds you you get another Bradley Beal and win? Yeah, like, you know, you you might get Jalen Green, right? Yeah. Uh, is Jalen Green winning right now? He's in year two, right? So, and, and people, even Rockets fans, which I think they kind of need to chill out a little bit on them. They're kind of like, well, what's going on? Like he needs to be better. He needs to be more efficient, but it's like, he's a year two guy. These shooting guards, they need time. Yes. Like it's just not, you're not going to get a, a two guard 
and, and they're going to average 30 and lead you to wins like by year three, year four. Like it takes, it takes time. It's the, the Kobe's and the Dwayne Wade's. They're so rare, man. Like no, that's that is rare air. And I think I think the most think, recent example is is the Luca. I mean, everybody's like, oh, look what Luca did to Dallas whenever he. It's like, dude, that's a generational player. Generational play. These are generational first ballot Hall of Famers. You yeah. get a top three pick, you're more likely to draft Alonzo Ball or mm-hmm. a, or a, a Jamal Murray type player than you are to draft even a Bradley Beal or yeah. a. Or Dwayne Wade or Kobe, you know, that level, you know, you know, great player. Like it's just tough. So I don't, I don't knock these medium, small market teams for locking up guys who average 30 points a game. Oh, yeah. Like they're just hard to find. They're hard to find. So, like I say, when you weren't going to trade them when you traded Wall and when you traded Russ, did that the decision at that point was already made. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think other people just kind of need to like forget the whole idea of like, oh, what if Beal was on this team? I mean, maybe later, but like it's kind of the same deal with Dame where like at some point, like, man, just just accept the fact that that guy is happy with being there and wants to be there and wants to be one of that franchise's greatest players. Like just live with it and accept it. Quit playing the hypotheticals of, oh, what if Beal was here? What if Beal was here? What if Dame? Like just accept that these guys have genuinely loved their times with the franchise and want to continue to do great things with that franchise. Yeah, because I mean, there's a time, <laughs> there was a time where players did not want to be here and did not want to spend their whole career here. Like it was just a pit stop to kind of get paid and and then leave. Um, so, you know, I, I tip my cap to him and Dane um, for wanting to stay with teams that hey, you may not win a championship, but you can be an all-time leading scorer for the franchise. You can get in the record books. You might could uh, put yourself in the Hall of Fame. Um, and, and for some players, that's 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 enough, man. You know, yeah. family secure. You ain't got to worry about nothing financially for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and some some players are happy with that. Yep. And it's also just a great reminder of like winning a championship's not easy. It is extremely hard, no matter the circumstance, and it, and you still need luck, no matter how good. A lot of it. <laughs> a lot of it. And so that's just a great reminder for that. Um, yeah, I mean kind of covered it all you know the last thing i just want to ask you is like what is the expectation for this team going forward both like this season and in the next few seasons yeah so as far as the uh you know the wizards over the next couple of years or uh this year let's let's talk um, this know, year first let's talk this year first yeah so so with this year um you know i think they got to get healthy um Beal with the hamstring I personally think they need to go ahead and, and shut him down till after the all-star break because hamstrings are so tricky. They, they you know, are. They, he, he originally suffered the injury on December 4th. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he, I felt like he came back early and then he injured the other one. So it was the right hamstring. Then he comes back early, injures the left hamstring, overcompensating. Then he comes back and then re-aggravates the right hamstring again. So I think they need to just let him sit out to after the all-star break, let him get healed up. And then uh, you can make a real evaluation on where this team is at. I think they're going to, they're going to push for the playoffs period point blank. They're going to try to be a, you know, they're going to try to push for a top six seed. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to get there. That one and 13 stretch kind of, to me, probably pushed them out of that. 
They're four uh, games behind sixth right now, which is not impossible. But, you know, halfway through the season, that's not an easy gap to just overcome. So, you know, maybe, but it's not but it's not easy, but not impossible. Yeah, like if, if you told me Bill was going to be healthy from now to the rest of the year, I, I would say they could do it. But with no Bill, I think it's going to be an uphill climb. Um, you know, and then there'll be a – I think they get to a play-in spot. Uh, maybe say if they – you know, they get to the AFC, they'll, they'll obviously they'll lose in round one. Um, and and for, for this front office, for this owner, I think that's fine. Yeah. Um, and then next year, I think they're going to try to go big game hunting again. Mm-hmm. And try to go get that 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 other star because again, just three months ago, Tommy was trying to trade for Spider. Yeah, and, and you know that 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 does that doesn't get lost on me because you know for all the people that are talking about rebuild, rebuild. If your general manager was just trying to change trade for Spider Mitchell, uh, he's not thinking about rebuilding. So <laughs> I, I think that's that's the path we're on, and I think over the next couple of years, that's what you're going to try. Try to see Tommy probably be aggressive, more aggressive to get another star in here uh, with Beal, KP, and possibly Kuzma. That's still that's still a little up in the air. Yeah, yeah. Those uh those contract extension negotiations, or if they just go into you know free agency, um, it'll be interesting. Um, I, I ultimately think that this team's timeline long term is as long as Bradley Beal's there and is happy, this team is going to be trying to win some basketball games. If the time comes one day where Bradley Beal just kind of decides, hey, I've loved my time here. I'm the all-time leading scorer at whatever point if he passes that. Do you have any idea of how close he might be? The last time I looked at it, he was about 800 or so points away. Um, So he was on track to do it this year. Yeah, I plan on him no matter what wanting to do that. Like I definitely think that that's a huge goal for him. For sure. And that's an awesome goal, like, to achieve. So, like, props to him for being in that conversation and being able to do it and probably going to do it. Um, but I, long-term, I think it's – once he passes that, you kind of hit a crossroad of, is he still just want to stay here at some at a certain point? Did he kind of get involved with the no-trade clause to maybe give himself flexibility one day, not to just ruin the team, but to be able to, like, comfortably go to the front office, say, hey, I've done this, this, and this, and I'll give you these options to try to move me. And, like – if that day comes, I think then you can have the conversation about the Wizards really trying to rebuild. But I, I just think as long as he's on the roster and as long as he's happy, that's not a conversation. 100% agree. Yeah. But, hey, um, that's about it. Covered a lot of things, Wizards. They have they are genuinely a fun team to watch. So my people on here listening, if you're not an – I'm not – I mean, I'll admit I'm not an avid Wizards watcher, but, like, I mean, I try to watch all 30 teams as it is, but, like, when I watch them, I enjoy watching this team. They're a fun team to watch. You know, um, they they run a lot of fun stuff offensively to me. It's not always the most effective, but it's fun. Um, fun lineups, fun stuff going on. It's a fun team in general. Um, if, you're look, if you're just a basketball junkie and you're looking for something fun to watch, you know, if they're, one, if they're the only game on, just trust me. Go check it out. Just watch them. But uh, Damo – it's been a really fun time with you, man. I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you again for having me, man. Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, so I'll definitely stay in touch with you. And uh, I was, guys, I meant to say this is very, I'll cover this at the beginning if anyway, but uh, we are recording this um, the, uh, the, the day that they play a game, I think. So, I mean, we're obviously not completely up to date, but it'll be uploaded in the morning. We're recording on Friday, early afternoon. 
But, Damo, thanks again. But with that being said, this is the end of episode 37 of the Coast to Coast Podcast. See you guys next week.